take uh, the Word of God this morning and turn, if you would, to Acts uh, chapter number 9. Acts chapter 9, as you open your Bibles and turn there. We've looked at several things concerning the life of Saul. Uh, the first two verses, we've uh, considered the background of Saul. Who was this man uh, that got interrupted uh, by Jesus Christ? And aren't you grateful that you got interrupted wherever you were by the Lord Jesus Christ? And uh, we saw that as uh, Jesus Christ appeared to uh, Saul, the Bible says there was a great light, the glory of the Lord. Uh, him and all the men that were present with him fell to the ground. Um, the glory of the Lord and uh, spoke to Saul and the message was, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the priest. We identify two important questions that Saul asked the Lord. The first question is, Who art thou, Lord? Which is foundational to our salvation. Who is the Lord? If anybody would be saved, there has to be a biblical understanding as to who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And then the second question is not one of salvation, but it's one concerning surrender. What will thou have me to do? And so the first one concerns salvation, who is the Lord? The second one concerns surrender, what wilt thou have me to do? And so as we look at this account, we see the great transformation that's going to happen in the life of Saul. But in our chapter here, in chapter 9, we have the mention of one man. Now we're not ignorant of this name, Ananias. As a matter of fact, there are two other Ananiases in the Bible. The first one, if you remember, in Acts chapter 5 was Ananias and Sapphira. That one did not have a good reputation. As a matter of fact, they lied and they deceived the church, and God struck them dead. Now, it is not that God always does that with His children, but this is the first church, and Jesus Christ is making an example as to how serious the life of the church is. The other Ananias is a high priest that we find later in Acts chapter 22 when uh, Paul stands before the high priest, and so uh, he was also uh, not uh, that uh, helpful of a man, let's put it that way. But this Ananias that we find in Acts chapter 9 is completely different. As a matter of fact, there's just a few verses about him. Not much is said about Ananias apart from chapter 9 and twice. When the apostle Paul gives his testimony, he'll mention back Ananias by way of testimony. But all that we find about Ananias is right here in Acts chapter 9. And oh, what a change would happen as a result of this man. You know, the world remembers the Apostle Paul. But Paul remembers Ananias. You know, often when we think about what's going on in the first century church, we, we may tend to emphasize the Peter and Paul and the great work that was going on through these men, the thousands of people that came to know Christ, that were baptized, the multitude of churches that were started and the multiplication of the first century church. And often, if we're not careful, we may ignore men such as Ananias or other women who are mentioned throughout the scriptures that even Paul would mention in, Acts, in Romans chapter 15, specifically names of those who enabled him to accomplish the work of God. And the truth is, as we look at the life of the church, God shows us this one man, and as we think about... Um, uh, often people say, well, when we get to heaven, uh, I'd like to talk to Paul and to see, uh, give us the details as to what he did and tell us stories about the exploits, those that are beyond what we just find in Acts chapter 9. And often we think about the greatness of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, although himself, he did not consider himself great. He referred to himself as the least of all the apostles, the chief of sinners, and to be last and the least of all the saints, he did not consider himself great. But as we look at our text, we're going to read this account in just a moment. While the world remembers Paul, when Paul is going to regain his sight, there is one man he's going to see. And that man is Ananias. And so while the world may remember Paul, Paul will remember Ananias. I want us to look here as we begin in Acts chapter 9. Notice verse 7. The Bible says, And the men which journeyed with, which, with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. 
And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, as he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias went his way, entered into the house, and putting his hand on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. I want you to look with me to verse 10. The Bible says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. I want to preach this morning on a certain disciple named Ananias. A certain disciple named Ananias. As we look throughout the scriptures, there is no doubt that we tend to think of great men. We, we may look at the scriptures and often those who I think we think inspire us would be the right Moses of the Old Testament and Abraham and Enoch and Noah. We look at the New Testament. We think obviously of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We think about the apostles. We think about Peter and, and John. We think about uh, Paul here and his transformation and uh, how God used him to pen most of the New Testament that we have. We think even about uh, John and the book of Revelation and how he was the beloved disciple of the Lord. And often all throughout the scriptures we have names and short accounts of men and women who faithfully served God and made a great difference. And Ananias is one of those men. If you turn with me, as I mentioned earlier in the book of Romans, when Paul writes... To the believers at Rome, remember that he had not been to Rome, uh, but he desired to go to Rome and to be with them. And yet in Romans chapter 16, the Apostle Paul, I want us to think about here as he writes this letter, the Apostle Paul in Romans 16 and verse 1, notice what he says. He's going to list some names and notice what he says in Romans 16 verse 1, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at Sancria, that ye receive her in the Lord as becometh saints, and that ye assist her in whatsoever business she hath need of you, for she hath been a succorer of many and of myself also. A succorer is an aid, someone who came to the aid and to the help of not only many, but also of the Apostle Paul. Now we don't know how she helped Paul, but Paul says she's been a help to me. He says, verse 3, Great Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, Who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. So Aquila and Priscilla have evidently had a great impact, not just Paul, but on all the churches of the Gentiles. That's a lot of churches, by the way. But Paul says, it's not just me, but these two were instrumental in every single Gentile church that was started. Notice verse 5, Likewise greet the church that is in their house. Salute my beloved Epiphanatus, who is the firstfruit of Achaia unto Christ. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Salute Andronicus and Junia, and Junia 
my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelus, my beloved in the Lord, salute Urbane, our helper in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved, uh, salute Apelles, approved in Christ, salute them which are of Aristopolis' household, salute Herodion, my kinsman, greet them uh, that be of the household of Narcissus, which are in the Lord. He goes on to list a, a bunch of names, but the point here is the Apostle Paul, as he writes all those names, he says, I, I am not alone in the work of God. And we may tend to look at the Scriptures, particularly at the book of Acts, and often we may divide the book of Acts into two sections, and that is the first half centers on the Apostle Peter, and the second half centers on the Apostle Paul and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. But behind those men were a lot of faithful men and women. You see, the work of God is, is never about a one-man show. As a matter of fact, as we read in this account, we find one man who would change the course of one man who would change the course of the world. And as we look at scriptures, the Bible just says, a certain disciple named Ananias. A certain disciple. One who would not be mentioned after that apart from the Apostle Paul himself in a testimony. One whose scriptures would not reference anymore. Uh, but yet here he is, Ananias, uh, do making a difference in the life of the Apostle Paul. And so I would like to uh, take a break here from the Apostle Paul and our focus on the Apostle Paul and consider for just a little while a certain disciple named Ananias. As we looked here at the encounter, we read verse 7 through 9. We read here that the encounter with Christ is over. Those who accompanied Saul on his journey to Damascus most likely believed in the cause uh, that because they participated in the persecution of the church. Those men were there with the Apostle Paul, and yet here they are. The Bible describes in verse 7, they are standing there speechless. They heard the voice, but the Bible says they saw no man. Now the Bible says here, when they heard, hearing the voice in verse 7, the word voice here means a tone, a noise, or a sound. In other words, we know that when Saul gives testimony of this particular day, he makes it known that those who accompanied him did not hear the message of Christ to Saul. If you go with me to Acts chapter 22 and verse 9, when the Apostle Paul recounts this testimony, notice what he says in verse 9 of Acts 22. And when they that were with me saw indeed the light, and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. So often people say, and people jump up, and the skeptics all see there's a contradiction here. Uh, it says in Acts chapter 9 that they heard a voice, uh, but then here it says, uh, Paul says, they did not hear uh, the words that Jesus Christ spake unto me. Uh, they saw the light, but they did not understand the words. They heard the noise, but they did not hear the distinct words addressed to Saul. As a matter of fact, this is not uncommon in Scripture. There's a similar event that happens in John chapter 12 with Jesus Christ here. And the Bible says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people thereof that stood by and heard it said that it is thunder. In other words, they heard a voice, they heard a noise, they heard a sound, but those words were not distinct to them. It sounded to them as a thunder, or they thought to themselves that an angel spake unto him. And so it's, it's very similar here in Acts chapter 9, when they hear, the Bible says, not a voice, but a... a um, or they don't say the voice of God, but notice a voice. So they heard something, but they could not uh, define the words or hear the specific words that were being spoken, and they, they saw no man. Saul was sitting on the ground, as Scripture tells us, that he arose from the earth, and however, as he arose, the Bible says that he still could not see. The Bible says his eyes were open, but he saw no man. Uh, Saul had to be, based upon the scripture here, had to be led to Damascus by the hand. 
This blindness upon Saul was specific, by the way, to him, although the others saw the light and heard a voice. The Bible tells us that they led him. That means they had sight, but Paul did not. So the blindness was specific to Saul himself. The other men with him uh, did not become blind because they were the ones that led him to Damascus. And so as we see uh, Saul arising and going to Damascus, I want us to think here, before Ananias comes on the scene, Saul is prepared for Ananias. And how is he prepared? Well, I would put it this way. There is a humbling work that just took place in the life of Saul. What do you mean by, by humbling? Well, think about it this way. As we look at Saul, the Lord Jesus Christ is gone. He's on the ground. He gets up. He opens his eyes. He sees no man. He has to be led over to Damascus. And as he waits in Damascus for three days with not eating anything without sight for three days. That's a humbling work. As a matter of fact, we think about three things here. The first of all, he was humbled by the loss of self-dependence. How humbling would it be for a man who was leading, in a sense, this charism to go to Damascus? He had a letter from the chief priest. He was the one who had gone to the chief priest requesting for this letter. And so he goes to Damascus and he's in charge of this group of men. And we know what they've been involved in. They've been going from house to house. They've been breaking down those doors. They've been dragging both men and women out of their own houses. They've been going to synagogue after synagogue and beating those who were after that way, the way of Christ. And so uh, he has been involved in all of that. But now notice here, he has to be led like a child by the hand to Damascus. Can you imagine how embarrassing it must be? David, come up here, please. Put your stuff down. You're not in trouble. Come, come up here. We went to uh, uh, a few uh, weeks back. We had, I think it was a homeschool activity. We went to a maze a corn maze, and so we were uh, out, um, you know, trying to figure our way out, and so we thought to ourselves, we're going to let the children do it on their own and see how they do. Well, they got lost pretty quick, all right? And so we thought, well, you know, I, I, I could pretty much tell where we were, but they like to run ahead. And he said, oh, we can figure this out, we can figure it, right? You thought you could figure this out, right? Could you figure it out? No, all right. And so they're running ahead, they're running ahead. And then I, I, I told him, I said, I said, you need to stop running ahead because you're going to get lost. And you know what I did to try to help him? I said, uh, I said, son, if you run ahead again, if I lose sight of you, you're going to come back here and you're going to hold my hand. Well, guess what? He ran ahead again. I lost sight of him. And I said, son, come here. And I held his hand. You know what he did? He was embarrassed. Why? Because he wanted to be on his own. He wanted to prove that he could do it. And he was humbled, right, by holding daddy's hand. You can go have a seat. Now, little boys don't like to hold daddy's hands. Well, maybe some do, but this one does not. <laughs> he just wants to be in charge. And can you imagine here Saul? Just like a little child here, hold my hand. And he's dragged by the hand to Damascus. He can't see. Just like little child. That's humbling, isn't it? Uh, then we not only see that he was humbled by the loss of self-dependence, but also he was humbled by the loss of his sight. Uh, he, he can't see. He opens his eyes. Obviously, the brightness of the glory of God overwhelmed him. Uh, but the other men that were present there noticed they recovered their sight. They could see, but Paul could not see. So the Lord did something in the life of Saul that blinded him for three days. You know, I don't know if you've ever been to a place where there is completely no sight. I remember when I was a child, we went into uh, this cave. I believe it was uh, off 91 in Virginia somewhere. can't remember the name of the cave, but they brought us down very deep in the cave. And then they said, all right, we're going to turn all lights off, all cell phones off. And then you can see if you can mark out anything. And they turned everything off. It was pitch black. You couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. That's how dark it was. And at that moment, there's a sense of, I hope the lights come back on. Because you're, you're standing there says, I, I, I can't do it. I can't see anything. I don't know where I'm walking. I don't know what I'm feeling. I, I can't see anything. I have no sense of direction whatsoever. He is completely blind. That's humbling. No sight. 
You see, God did that for Saul to humble him and to prepare him for Ananias, but also he is humbled by the absence of sustenance. Think about it. The Bible tells in verse 9 that he neither did eat nor drink for three days. Now, he loses self-dependence. He loses his sight and he loses sustenance. And so we ask ourselves at this point here, then what does Saul do during that time? When he has been humbled, when he is losing, he's lost all of those things and those capabilities and his sight. He was told to go to Damascus. There he is in Damascus. And he has been waiting there for three days for the next step. Now according to verse 9, Paul, uh, Saul waited for three days. And so what would Saul do here? Scripture tells us, what he was doing during that time. Notice, when the Lord appears to Ananias in a vision and speaks to him, he said at the end of verse 11, for one called Saul of Tarsus, behold, he, what is it? Prayeth. Saul lost self-independence, lost his sight, the absence of sustenance, and the Bible tells us he is praying. You see, there is nothing that promotes humility in the life of the Christian more than prayer. In other words, there was nothing for Saul, nothing else for Saul to do. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure that Saul could have eaten if he wanted to. I am sure that he had the resources that those who were around him could have fed him, but he has been so humbled by the work of God that he doesn't know how to do anything else but pray. That's what God tells us he was doing. You see... He who once stood as an enemy of Christ now has been so humbled, he has now recognized that his access to God is only by Christ. The one who sought to uh, try to get them, those Christians, to blaspheme and to deny the name of Jesus Christ now is the same one who's praying to the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, Saul has been has been humbled, Saul has been crushed. You know, it is important for us to recognize as we think about, we often we ask ourselves, what is God trying to do in my life? I'm going to tell you what God's trying to do in your life, what He always does with man. He's trying to humble us. Why is this happening in my life? I'll tell you why. God is allowing this in your life to humble you. Why? Because that's what we all have a problem with. Right? Even when we get to the place where we humble, sometimes we even are proud of the reputation of humility. That can happen. And so here, Saul has been humbled. He is led like a child, uh, loses all self-dependence. He loses his sight. He does not uh, desire any sustenance, but he is praying, calling out to God. We don't know what he is saying here. But I would imagine there would be a lot of remorse for what he's done. I would imagine he's praying, calling out to the Father, forgiving him for the things that he has done to Christians. As we see in the pattern of Zacchaeus, when he recognized who Jesus Christ is, he wanted to restore fourfold what he had done. And so there's a sense in the life of the Apostle Paul here where he, he is broken. And by the way, no one can truly and genuinely and sincerely enter into the presence of God and not be broken. For three days. You see, when Ananias comes on the scene, what Ananias is going to found, find is a broken Paul. A man who has been humbled. A man who is led like a child. A man who cannot see, and a man who's not ate anything, and has been calling out upon God. Uh, by the way, this would be a comfort to Ananias. When the Lord is going to tell Ananias, I want you to go find Saul of Tarsus, it would be alarm bell, but then God says, but he prayeth. Ah, that would be something that would be comforting to know because there's something about someone praying that causes Ananias to say, something has happened in the life of Saul. As we continue in our text, we come now to verse 10, and the Bible says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision Ananias, and he said, Behold, here am I, 
Lord. I want us to spend a little time here thinking about Ananias. Uh, what do we learn about this man, Ananias? And I know we've already studied about the life of, the, of Saul before his conversion here, but what about Ananias? I want us to consider several things about him. First of all, we're going to take a look at his reputation. Secondly, his disposition. And thirdly, his commission. I want you to notice, first of all, his reputation. What does the Bible tell us about Ananias? Verse 10 tells us there was a certain disciple at Damascus. The Bible often refers to terms about believers. Sometimes the Bible says saints. A believer. A disciple. An apostle, there are different titles here, uh, but the Bible makes it very clear to point to us that Ananias was a disciple. Now what is a disciple? A disciple is simply a learner. Uh, you could even use the term a pupil or a student. It is someone who uh, not only hears the teaching as a student, but it is someone who adheres to the teaching that he is receiving. And so the disciple, a disciple, refers to someone who is taught, and then who adheres to that which is taught. Now you remember, during the ministry of the Jesus Christ, there were disciples that followed Him, but often on some occasions, Jesus Christ would say something, and it was a hard saying, and the Bible says, and some disciples stopped following Him. And they were no longer disciples. Uh, he would turn to his disciples and say, Are you also going to leave me? And you remember what Peter says, No, thou, where shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. There's no one else. And so we understand here that a, a disciple is someone who not only hears the teaching, but then who adheres to the teaching. And so that is what Ananias, who Ananias was. The word disciple also is connected to the word discipline. There are many who enjoy today the benefits of a free salvation, and indeed salvation is free. It costs us nothing. But often when we enjoy the benefits of a free salvation, we often may stumble at the idea of living a disciplined life as a disciple, because that's what a disciple means. Uh, and so when one is taught... You see, often they become a reflection of the one that's teaching them. If you notice, you remember early on when Peter and John were preaching, uh, they were uh, arrested and the high priest and the council was uh, talking about them. You remember what they said about them? We, uh, they took note that they had been with Jesus. In other words, they say these people are students of Jesus Christ. They are disciples of Jesus Christ. It is not only that they've learned what Jesus Christ has taught, but they adhere to the things that Jesus Christ has taught. They are a disciplined bunch. And in the sense, they reflected Jesus Christ. So Ananias, as, as a disciple, is not only a learner, a student. Notice, we, he, he's not called an apostle. He probably, whatever believers were gathered at Damascus, he was not one of their leaders who was preaching. He was a disciple, a learner, a student. But what a student he was. A disciplined student. And one who could be identified as being a follower of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us he was a disciple. That's his reputation, but also... If you turn with me to Acts 22, we find what Paul says about him when he recounts this, uh, the testimony of his meeting with Ananias in Acts 22. Notice with me down in verse 12, the Bible says, uh, and this is again Paul recounting what happened in Acts 9, and he says this in Acts 22 verse 12. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. So notice here, there's two things in verse 12 that uh, the Bible tells us about Ananias. Uh, the Bible tells us, first of all, that he was a devout man. Devout. Now, we could say that that's closely aligned with, uh, aligned with being a disciple, but the word devout refers to someone who lives 
a devoted life. We, we, to put it in our own words, someone who has a, is religiously devoted to God. What was he devoted to? Well, Scripture tells us a devout man according to the law. So this tells us that Ananias walked in the fear of God. He lived for the Lord, and that was important to him. You see, there may be believers, but who may not be devout. In other words, some people may believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that in Him is found salvation, but when it comes to devotion and living a life, notice, according to the law of God, according to the way that pleases God, many are not found to be devout. They, they don't have a devoted life, but here uh, Ananias did have that life. That's what Paul said about him. Now certainly when Paul first met Ananias, he didn't know that, but he would find them. He would remain in Damascus for some time, and he would find very quick, quickly... Although scripture doesn't mention Ananias after that, Saul certainly would call him a devoted man after the law. So he was a disciple, he was a devoted man, a devout man, but also thirdly, the Bible says at the end of verse 12, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, he had a good report. But now notice here, the Bible says he had a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there. Where is the there? Damascus. Now notice it doesn't say the Jews that were believers. It says all the Jews. You know what that tells us? The reputation of Ananias was not limited to the believers in Damascus. Scripture tells us that he had a good report of all the Jews that dwelt there, whether they were believers or non-believers. You see, let me put it this way. Ananias, as a Christian, was an honest man. Ananias was a hard-working man. He was a faithful man. He was a kind man. There was no one in the community that could bring an accusation against Ananias. Not one. All the Jews recognized the character of an Ananias. He was of good report. And so if you were in the town and someone said, Hey, what do you think of Ananias? There would be glowing reports of him. By the way, from every single Jew. That's not what I said. That's what Scripture says. All the Jews. You see, when we ask ourselves today, what, do, what does the local church need more than anything? What the local church needs more than anything are members who live righteously before the world. After the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus Christ told His disciples, He says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You see, I, um, I, I, I oppose the idea that evangelism is just kind of lifestyle evangelism. You just kind of live right and then, you know, uh, one day, you know, you can slip in the gospel. No, we're to preach the gospel to every creature. But if our emphasis is to preach the gospel to every creature and we care nothing about our behavior, we are harming the gospel message and we're not helping it at all. And so there is the fact that we need to preach the gospel. But along with preaching the gospel, we better make sure that there's nothing in our lives that would harm the gospel or would oppose the gospel. That's just as important. And that is the man that Ananias was. So the Bible tells us his reputation, he was a disciple, he was a devout man, and he had a good report. We not only see his reputation, but if we go back to Acts chapter 9, we see his disposition. So the Bible says that there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. To him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, this is Ananias, Behold, I am here, Lord. His disposition we know nothing about Ananias up to this point. There is not another mention of Ananias in the remainder of Scripture apart from the two times that Paul recounted his personal testimony and mentioned Ananias. Ananias was ready and willing to serve the Lord. There was a special opportunity for here Ananias to serve the Lord and Ananias was ready and willing. Now, there's two things that we think about this account here. There is, first of all, 
opportunity, but there is also availability. You see, the opportunity was what? Someone needs to go to Saul. And what's the availability? Ananias was available. Well, what if Ananias was not available? Well, perhaps God would have found somebody else. But the point is, he was available. You see, opportunity to serve God, that's God's part. Availability is our part. You see, he was already a disciple. He was already a devout man. And he had a good report. And God says, although nobody may know Ananias, I know him and I'm going to give him an opportunity to serve. You see, as we serve God, there are uh, three steps as we think about Scripture in the life of Ananias. First of all, step one, uh, concentrate, begin to develop and maintain a good reputation in the sight of God and man. Okay? Develop and maintain a good reputation in the sight of God and man. Step two, always be ready and willing to serve God in whatever capacity is needed. And thirdly, opportunities will open for you to serve the Lord. Now, it will happen in these steps. Develop and maintain a good reputation in the sight of God and man. Always be ready and willing to serve in whatever capacity is needed. And then opportunities will open to serve the Lord. You see, we don't know what tomorrow brings. We don't know what every step is going to be for the remainder of their lives. That's God's part. Uh, we don't know in what capacity we are going to serve in tomorrow, but what we can work on is our reputation, our character, and to make sure that we are willing and able to serve God in whatever capacity is needed, and God will open the doors. You see, if we're not careful, we may think, and Ananias didn't think that way, but we may think this, Ananias, well, why can't I be like the Apostle Paul? Why would God choose a man who's been persecuting the church to start countless of churches while he's been persecuting the church and I've been faithful all this time and I don't get the same opportunity. Now, I don't know, I think that way, but often Christians may think that way. Has Saul here had any opportunity to prove his character? None. But God is going to tell Ananias I want to use him. Now we're going to look at the full message. It's not just I'm going to use him. He's going to tell Ananias he's going to suffer many things. You see now, often a Christian may think, well, you know, I, I want this opportunity and I want this opportunity. That's not what we focus on. What we focus on is being of good report in the sight of God and man and being willing to do whatever it is that God wants us to do, and then God will take care of the opportunity. That is His disposition. So we see His reputation, His disposition, but also thirdly, we see His commission. So what is God going to ask Ananias to do? Notice verse 11. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called straight. Okay, so, so far it's a street. Straight. By the way, that street, there's still a straight street in Damascus today. It's one of the main roads going through Damascus. It could be the same. And inquire in the house of Judas, so we have a street and a house, for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold he prayeth. So a street, a house, a man. And hath in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to, the, to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Behold, the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Let's pause here. Let's look and consider the commission of Ananias. I want us to consider three things about this commission. First of all, this commission was simple. Remember the Apostle Peter was instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ to feed my sheep. Peter would be used to preach on the day of Pentecost and see thousands of people get saved. 
Ananias does not have uh, the likeness of the ministry of the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter or even by this, for this matter, Philip who would go to Samaria. Remember early on in Acts chapter 8 and preach and uh, many people believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and were baptized and a wonderful work takes place. Uh, notice here, the commission was simple. The Lord spoke to Ananias in a vision and yet there was nothing that was going to happen that would be on what we would refer to as on a grand scale. You see, it would not be as in the preaching of Peter at Pentecost with thousands coming to Christ. It would be nothing like preaching uh, like Philip in Samaria. It was one street, the straight street, one house, Judas's house, and one man, Saul of Tarsus. That's simple, isn't it? It's not complicated. There's not the bells and the whistles. There's, there's no spotlight. One street, one house, one man. Now, we, we know the rest of the story. You see, Ananias doesn't... Uh, he's been serving the Lord. And so, here he is receiving this message that this man who he knows, he's heard of, he needs to go to him. And the task is quite simple. Often we may think that because it is something that is simple, then it's not great. But no, it's not the case. You see, anything that is obedience to the Lord is great. Anything that is obedience to the Lord is great. The commission was simple, but also the commission would be uncomfortable. You know, it was not just that Ananias was going to see a man named Saul. Ananias would be faced with what Jesus said, Saul of Tarsus. Now, based upon what we know about Saul so far... Out of all the people in all the world, Saul would be the last man that Ananias wanted to see. Would we agree with that? I mean, he has been the one leading the charge against those that are the way of Ananias. And so out of all the people in the world, Saul would, was the last man that Ananias wanted to see. This chapter tells us that Ananias had knowledge that Saul was coming to Damascus by authority of the priest. He would say to the Lord in verse, uh, notice, for 13, then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem, and here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Wow, that, that would be uncomfortable. Go to that same man? You see, no doubt believers in Damascus had been preparing themselves for Saul coming to Damascus. I mean, we already know what the Bible tells us he was doing. Every synagogue, Christians were being beaten. People were being dragged from their own houses. So no doubt the believers had organized themselves. They prepared for the coming. And how? What, what had they been preparing for? They had been preparing on how to evade Saul. And now the Lord says, go right to him. That would be uncomfortable. He says, look, I've, I've heard. We know what this man's doing. We've heard what is going on. So the commission would would simple the commission would be uncomfortable and by the way god will call us to do things often that make us uncomfortable just because it makes us uncomfortable it doesn't mean it's not god's will often people say well i just don't see myself you know doing that it makes me uncomfortable therefore i'm not going to serve god that's not the basis for our service to god but also the commission was not only would be simple, would be uncomfortable, but also this commission would be charitable. Do you see what he is instructed to do? Notice, verse 12, He hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive sight. So Ananias, okay, the Lord tells Ananias that Saul has received a vision from the Lord telling Saul that Ananias was going to come to him and recover his sight. And I was like, me? I kind of I, I like the fact that he's blind. He can't chase around the Christians. Uh, notice uh, Ananias, he, he says, look, uh, I've heard many things. Verse 13, verse 14, he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. In verse 15, but the Lord said unto him, 
Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You see, this commission would be charitable. Ananias would not be involved, and this is important in serving God, Ananias would not be involved in something that would benefit him personally. I want to serve God. What's in it for me? Remember, isn't that what uh, the early disciples said? Behold, Lord, we have forsaken all. What's in it for us? Who, who's going to sit at thy right hand, the left hand? Like, who's going to... What's in it for me? That's not ministry. The commission of Ananias was, Go, and you're going to help a blind man who has been persecuting the church for all this time. And so your ministry, your commission... Is for you, Ananias, to be charitable. You're doing something not for yourself. You're doing something for somebody else who's actually your enemy. Isn't that what we see here? He is going to recover his sight when you go to him. You see, the commission would be charitable. But we continue along the theme that it was simple and comfortable and charitable. But notice here, the message that Ananias was going to bring to Saul. Verse 15, He is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Well, wait a minute. Why does he have that privilege and not me? Wouldn't you think that? Shouldn't he be destroyed? No. Remember, God is more interested in deliverance than He is in destruction. And so here He says, He's going to be my messenger. And you're going to go, and you're going to tell Him that. But that is not done. He's going to say, For I will show Him how great things He must suffer for my namesake. You see, when Ananias would come to Saul, the message he was going to deliver would be an unpleasant message. Uh, there is the, 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 the privilege of representing God. But at the same time, with great privilege, would be accompanied with suffering. And oh, what suffering Paul would endure throughout his ministry. You know, I know that Saul has forgiven all of his sins and they're gone. But we have to be aware that there are consequences to sin in this life. It's interesting that Saul, who at one time bound Christian, would one day himself be bound. It's interesting that the one who tried to get Christians to deny the Lord Jesus Christ would be the same Christian who tried to be convinced to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the, the man who once imprisoned Christians would be the one who one day would be imprisoned. It's interesting that the man who used to say, don't teach and preach in the name of Jesus Christ, would one day to be told to not preach and teach in the name of Jesus Christ. It's interesting that the man who stood by when Stephen was stoned to death, would one day himself be stoned and left for dead. You see, we think often about, well, I want an Apostle Paul ministry. Are you aware that sometimes with that type of ministry comes tremendous suffering? You see, as we look at this account, the, minister, the commission of Ananias is simple, not, not complicated. It would be uncomfortable. He would have to step out of his comfort zone. It would also be charitable, but also it would deliver both a pleasant and an unpleasant message. We're going to look at the account next, but as we continue, the Bible says that when Ananias went his way, verse 17, he entered into the house and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. Oh, can you see in those words the charitableness? He put his hand on him. The one who had been his enemy, and he said, Brother Saul. What words? They used to run away from that man. And now he embraces that man and says, Brother Saul. Notice we keep reading. He says, The Lord, even Jesus, 
that appear unto thee in the way as thou camest hast sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received his sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. The first man that Saul would see would be Ananias. This man who, after this, we're not going to read anything about him. But Saul, twice when he gives his testimony, once in Acts 22, once in Acts 26, would mention again this man, Ananias. Why? Because that's the man that Paul remembers when he recovered his sight. And so while the world may remember the accomplishments and the suffering of Saul, Saul would remember one man by the name of Ananias who made a difference in his life because he obeyed God. You see, we think of the scale of ministry by which we want to serve God. And what we need to concentrate on is availability and leave the opportunity to God. God will take care of His work. We take care of ourselves. How do we know that Saul remembered Ananias? Because he would mention him in his testimony. I would imagine that if you were to go to heaven one day, if we're going to go to heaven one day and see Saul, and we would ask him, hey, I know we read in the Bible your testimony, but Saul, would you, would you tell us your testimony again? Just tell us what happened. You know what he would mention in that testimony? Ananias. Because he did, twice. And so, may the Lord help us to think of ministry not in terms of scope, but in terms of surrender. You see, the scope belongs to God, but the surrender is what we can do. And so, may the Lord help us. You see, when we study the Scripture, what is it that the church needs more of? Well, certainly there needs to be more laborers. But you know what there's primarily, we read the big names, but you know what is primarily found in Scripture? Ananias's. When you think about the life of the church, and how many Apostle Pauls there are, and how many Ananiases there are, there's a whole lot more Ananiases than there are preachers. You see, the work of God could not be done without Ananias. He is just as important as Paul. As a matter of fact, he, in a sense, he was the platform upon which the Apostle Paul took off as a minister of the Lord. And so let us not despise what we may deem as a small ministry that God has given us, and the sight of God is great.